WKTY 96.7 FM, 580 AM. Welcome back to WKTY Outdoors, brought to you by Tony Ryerson at tryerson.cbrivervalley.com. Get the home or plot of land you've always wanted. It's uh, 825. Joining me on the phone right now is Tackle Terry Tuma, and we are going to talk this morning about river walleyes. Good morning, Terry. How are you this morning? I'm doing just great, and good morning to you, Kevin. To all of our listeners, good morning. Yes, yes. It's uh, a little snowy here in the cross this morning, but uh, uh, I think the, uh, the next few days will take care of anything that's uh, that's left over on the ground this morning. Yeah, let's hope we get back to the spring. Like weather, right? We all need that. Yeah. Yes. Yes. No, uh, no doubt about that. We can all use a little uh, fresh air and at least a, a good walk around the block, if anything. So that's for sure. Well, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, river walleyes this morning here. And, uh, you know, Terry, I guess maybe my first question is um, uh, let's start with uh, with where where are you going to find them this time of year? And keeping in mind too that we're you know we're dealing with uh with the traditional high water of uh of springtime here as well yes and that's a really a, a great question and we've fished a river for many many years and generally speaking when you have higher water uh the fish are going to move more they're going to maintain the depth we have that in conjunction to you know so that they could be even up in trees uh you know up uh closer to the shoreline, if you will. Mm-hmm. And it's really current breaks is what we're looking for. So always remember, stable water is the most productive. High water is going to be, uh, they're going to move uh, shallower. They can even be, you know, relating to tree stumps and so forth if the water is that high. And then with low water, again, they're going to move out into into the um, main channel, further out into mm-hmm. deeper water. So that's something we have to really be alerted to to, to find these fish. And and when you say moving into the the main channel, are you you talking more of like relating to structure, or just kind of more uh, sort of suspending in the in the main channel area itself? Well, throughout the summer, they can definitely suspend. But over the years of fishing, we've found a lot of walleyes. One is, you know, depending on the time of the year, uh, where the food sources are, we always need to remember, uh, no food, no fish. Mm -hmm. And so that's number one. Number two is, yes, uh, they can uh, relate, they can suspend, uh, especially in the summertime, uh, out in mainly the main uh, part of the river system or the main lake, if you will, the main water flow. But also, too, we have found a lot of fish, especially at this time of the year into June, uh, depending, again, on water temperatures, is uh, some great places that I think a lot of people don't have a tendency to fish. We all know about the wing dams. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also have some you know, great success. I call them washouts. Uh, where the water is actually, uh, the current of the water is, is forming a washout bowl, if you will, and they'll be right at the lip of the washout bowl. And all side turns of any kind of a point can be extremely productive. Also, riprap areas, casting crankbaits, a very, very a great place to fish. And what we really need to understand is work with, you know, with your contour lines, uh, with, with, you know, points or wherever the water breaks. It's so important for us to, uh, to really to accomplish that. Another big key ingredient is definitely use your electronics to mark mm-hmm. these fish. And, and, and speaking of electronics, uh, a quick question for you here. Uh, would it be worthwhile, you know, if, if you're going to an area uh, regardless, would it be worthwhile spending just a couple of minutes just simply 
you know, making a few passes here and there without even dropping a line in the water, just to, to you know, just to focus strictly on looking at your electronics, looking what that contour is like, looking at, uh, you know, what what's down there before you even drop a line in the water, just making a few passes just to kind of get a read, a, a better read on, on the entire, uh, you know, what the, what the structure looks like on the bottom. You know, if, obviously if you're marking fish, um, but is that worthwhile just making a, a, you know, 10 minutes, uh, just a couple of quick passes? Oh, no question about it. Yes, uh, that's something we need to do. Uh, if you know of a good location, you know, just from experience and so forth, mm-hmm. and I really feel that these fish move in and out, you know, especially you know alongside a weighing dam or riprap areas and so forth, uh, and there's always an abundance of food, uh, food sources in the river systems, and yes, uh, but we, are, we have to, you know, uh, adjust to that moving in and out, but also to definitely run your electronics and mark these fish. And that really applies to several species of fish, not only on the river system, but also any uh, body of water. Mm-hmm. It's just, it, yeah, it just it, to me it makes to, to get that read in real you know, first and, you know, get an idea of, of you know, depth and, and what's, you know, down there before even moving, you know, going forward with, with dropping a line. And, and I think, too, there's probably, you know, if you're not necessarily marking any fish or not really seeing much down there, yeah, worth, you know, maybe pass and and find someplace else, especially, you know, if you know a place, uh, obviously, you know, you would go to that sort of your go-to place, but uh, maybe not necessarily do that. But if you're on new water or in a new section of the river, yeah, I think it would be worthwhile to uh, just take a few minutes to to get get the lay of the land, as it were, and and take a look at things before... uh, before deciding to, to settle in and, and drop that line in the water. Oh, you're exactly correct. And the other thing, too, is that we so often have this tendency, you know, shall we just say we have this concept that, well, if we've got a couple of walleyes here, they're going to be sort of scattered in an area, if you will. Mm-hmm. And over the years of fishing, especially early season, I have found where these walleyes and or sauger are really concentrated. You're know, not a heavy population, so to speak, mm-hmm. but it's just real precise. They could be from 13 and a half to 14 feet, and you have to stay that, or maybe it's 11 to 12 feet. Sure. You have to stay right in that exact area, and that's when I call circle the wagon, uh, is where we mark these fish, where we catch a couple of fish. We have to stay so tight to those uh, exact locations. It's literally unbelievable. So many times, anglers would just sort of go out and, and work a whole area, if you will, and it is definitely not the case on the river system. Okay, and and despite the fact that we're you know we're dealing with with high water right now, are those fish? You know, there's certainly more water for the fish to be in, um, but are they more? Are they? You, you kind of talked about those uh, that one location where they they can congregate, but do they tend to stack up more even in high water? I think they do. You know, it really varies, though. You know, if they're up in, you know, timber areas where you can toss jigs and so forth, no, they can be out somewhat isolated, maybe two or three here mm-hmm. or one or there. But in normal water conditions, even in a little bit higher water, we have found fish quite concentrated in areas. And here again, too, I really feel, again, it's really targeted casting or targeted jigging, you know, if you're casting crankbaits or you're casting a jig in, in plastics or whatever, you have to be really pinpointed with accuracy. I think it's so important. Then also, where are they at in that water column? Mm-hmm. And again, that's where your electronics are going to come in so 
so importantly to, to, to get a read on where that uh, where they are. Oh, yes, exactly right. And you, we all know that the sauger and the walleye are going to be, especially in the river system, be quite close to the bottom. You know, maybe uh, jigging with uh, up one inch or two inches off the bottom. However, we have found walleyes where they were suspended up off the water, uh, in the water column, many times, sometimes two, three, four feet. So here again, that's your, as you mentioned, keep your electronics on, study your electronics, but be open-minded. Don't just get hung up on mm-hmm. two or three inches off the bottom. Right, exactly, exactly. And, and you know, it, the, the other thing, too, is there... And is there a big difference between um, the, the, their behavior this time of year between walleye and sauger? Oh, I have that question asked a lot. You know, <laughs> we always hear so much, well, sauger are going to be deeper, walleye is going to be shallower. And that is not the case. I really diffused that comment for several years. We have caught sauger and walleyes in basically the same location, uh, shallow, deeper. I really, again, it varies so much on where the food is, Kevin. Mm-hmm. And I think this concept of, well, sauger are always deeper on maybe on some lakes, like a lake of the woods or something, that may be the case. But on a river system, on Peppa, no, it is not the case. Okay. And, and let's talk a little bit about, you, you, you've touched on uh, crankbaits and, and jigs and things like that. What, uh, what do you like to, uh, to use this time of year? Well, you, at this time of the year, I do a lot of jigging. Uh, and what we are doing with jigs is a vertical jig. It has to be vertical. Uh, we have to use a slow um, jigging action or method, if you will. And I do like, uh, you know, just the weight of the jig. I prefer short-chain jigs. And Emission Tackle is the only one right now that I'm aware of that's making them. Some of the manufacturers have dropped them. And the reason being I like the short-chain jig is because of the uh, of the walleyes and the sauger aren't real aggressive. Water is cold, so they're uh, slowed down in their metabolism. And so, therefore, then the short-chain jig works extremely well. How we hook that minnow is also a factor. If you're missing a lot of fish, then you need to go to a long-chain jig and then <clears throat> try to avoid using a trailer hook because that trailer I should say stinger hook, that stinger hook has a tendency to me to um, pick up debris off the bottom. But more importantly, I really feel that it's a deterrent in the visibility of that walleye or that sauger. If you can get away from it, please get away from it. Also, the way we hook the minnow, the gap of the hook on that jig is also a factor. Okay. And, and, and I guess what would you recommend then for uh, if you're just uh, uh, hooking up that minnow then? Well, generally speaking, what what I do, again, is the weight um, of that jig just so you can maintain contact with the bottom. Very, very important. But generally speaking, with a short-chain jig, I'll run that hook up into the mouth of the, uh, of the uh, whatever bait you're using, mm-hmm. if it's fatheads or whatever, and have that hook exit right in the forehead between the eyes. If we're getting, if you need a larger profile, which normally you're not going to need, but if you do need a larger profile, then hook it through the lips. Okay, and and yeah, is does uh, uh, the size of the minnow matter so much this time of year? Yes, it does. Um, I really feel that your larger minnows are. Um, fatted especially are going to be more productive but here again too it really depends on the mood you know if they're really aggressive it doesn't make a difference if they're finicky yes it does make a difference and also i know there's some comments and we have worked with this for quite a few years you know at this time of the year or shortly uh, in in 
the near future, you'll see the male and the female fatted. The males generally turn black, and there's been some studies done where the black fee, uh, males uh, have sort of an offensive odor to them, mm. and that, therefore that it can affect your walleye bite. Uh, so therefore then you want to take a look at the uh, females, which are more brown. But again, here too, you know, it's, it's hard to find, you know, just that one type of minnow. Sure. So you just have to sort through them. But it, according to these studies, it does make it. And we have done this for several years. Hmm. And generally speaking, we'll go with the female before we start to uh, tip with the males. Okay. Interesting. I guess I, I never, I hadn't seen uh, seen that particular bit of uh, bit of knowledge before. That's that's uh, that's very interesting. So I think people will be a little more picky then when they uh, they go get their fatheads. So. <laughs> oh, yeah, you're right. Yeah, you just don't go ask for a male fathead, right? <laughs> Kevin or female, right? Oh, wow. That's, uh, that's, that's interesting. Uh, some good stuff here this morning, Terry. Um, so let's, you know, do, uh, do you tend to throw, uh, like a lot of, uh, well, let's, let's talk about plastics first and then we'll talk about crankbaits. Yes, uh, I don't, um, in the river city, yes, uh, plastic can be extremely productive. Uh, here again, more so for uh, a more of an uh, aggressive bite, but also for the visibility factor. You've got some real dark water. But here, too, is experiment. Don't just go out there with just plastics or don't go out there with just minnows. Do some experimentation. Uh, I think it's so important for us to really dwell on that. You know, be versatile. You know, and the same thing with color of your jigs itself. That is something else to take a look at. Uh, you know, marabou can be extremely productive. Uh, the Twitch and Minnow by Berkeley also extremely productive. So here again is, you know, work with these different, uh, shall we say, techniques and presentations until you find one that's going to really trigger these fish. And also, it's amazing how all of a sudden you got a real good bite, maybe going at 7.30 in the morning or 6.30 in the morning, and all of a sudden you're marking some fish, but you're not catching any more fish. Switch colors. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. Make make that change, and 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 uh, whether it's uh, the jig head or the plastic, what have you. And uh, do you have any, per, you know, obviously something I'm guessing a little bit brighter. Uh, do you tend to use, you know, plastics as far as you know, a, a sort of a search bait? Uh, Sometimes yes, uh, but it depends here too. Is you know if you're casting up into the shallow, like the search baits uh, uh, with plastic, you know, or tossing jigs with plastic, yes, especially up in the shallows. But here again too, we have to be a little, uh, uh, say, aware of any type of abnormal noise to these fish, especially if they're quite shallow. Mm-hmm. But yes, tossing uh, uh, jigs with plastic. If you're going to cast. Uh, and you're planning on casting, say, tips of a wing dam or up in the trees, then that's going to really call for plastics. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now let's and let's talk a little bit about uh, about crankbaits. I mean, certainly there's a, a lot of different uh, styles and sizes and things like that. Let's let's like what kind of a uh, I, I guess uh, this time of year, what sort of a profile are you looking at? Are you looking at sort of a fatter body, a thinner body, narrow? Uh, what uh, what sort of things would you recommend? I use a lot of crankbaits that are designed like a shad wrap, uh, but the smaller crankbaits, we've had some great success in open water all season long, either casting or trolling these let core, uh, three-way silver rigs, but very, very, I really have a tendency to stay away from the minnows style crankbait, more tilting towards the, what you would use for, you know, not only for uh, 
walleye, but also for bass, or not for just for bass, but also walleye. I do stay away from the real fat-bodied crankbaits uh, throughout the summer, unless if we're fishing for smallmouth or largemouth. Mm-hmm. But generally speaking, uh, usually the smaller crankbaits seem to be the most productive over that past several years. Is it the only time frame? No. Well, here again, we have to keep a uh, very open mind, go with uh, different colors and different sizes, different throating speeds. If you're going to let core or if you're going to cast or if you're going to uh, use three whistleblower rigs. Mm-hmm. And again, too, that's, you know, I'm thinking that, you know, getting a good read on your, with your electronics on, you know, in terms of, of depth, that certainly will be a, a factor in what kind of, uh, I guess, maybe what kind of style that you would use for, uh, uh, for your crankbaits as well. Yes, and you know, so many times too. You know, with darker water, uh, uh, you may want to consider uh, using a crankbait that has more of a wobble action to it. You know, more of that uh, larger profile. But here again, too, it's not always the case. I, with crankbait, it's just amazing. But it's like with any color of any lure for whatever species, it's amazing how they prefer one color over the next, and two hours later, it can be a totally different color. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's just. Uh... You, you never know some days they can, you know, you can be spot on one minute and totally shut out the next. I, I completely understand that. Now, and, and you, you talked about wobble as well. That, that I guess brings up another question I've got for you as well is, is as far as uh, the, the noise factor, something to, to help, especially in the darker water, uh, how much of a key is that as well? Well, vibration of the crankbait, the wobble, is extremely important, and then also rattles. You know, yes, rattles are going to send out a, uh, a noise uh, factor that's going to uh, be, shall we say, uh, 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 alerting walleye, hey, there's something here, something mm-hmm. coming. But here, too, don't get so hung up on rattle, rattle, rattles. And the reason rattles are so productive is that so everybody's using them. But on the lake that's got a lot of pressure, uh, fishing pressure, you may want to consider non-rattle crankbaits. Okay. All right. Interesting. Um, and, uh, you know, and, and, it, and certainly there are different styles and, and sizes, of course, to, uh, to figure in as well. Yes, very much so. And here again, too, is that we have to work with the uh, different, as you mentioned, the different sizes and also different vibration patterns. It's so very, very important. The other thing, too, is the speed. How are, you know, mm-hmm. casting or trolling, how fast are you trolling? Are, should you go slower? Should you go faster? Same thing with casting. So many times that ultra-slow retrieve appears to be the more productive. Okay, yeah, that was that was going to be my follow-up question was that, you know, when, when using... Uh, you know, a jig and a minnow or a jig and a plastic of some kind. Yeah, what kind of, you know, retrieve speed are, are we looking at here? Yeah, well, it varies so much. You know, let's just talk about a jig, and I'm glad you brought that up. You know, so often we have this tendency to jig. You, If you watch anglers in boats, not only on the river systems but all over, it's that up and down, up and down motion. You know, generally speaking, 6 inches, 10 inches, 14 inches. We have found over the years of fishing, especially on the river system, also Lake of the Woods, it's just dropping it down and hit bottom and raise it up about two or three inches and don't jig whatsoever. Let the minnow be the attractor and also the trigger. It works extremely well and hold it steady, hold it still. And these fish are going to, and that's where rods become such a factor, longer rods, that this bite is going to be very, very light. And that is when we want to really concentrate on the feel, watching your rod tip. And if you feel that there might be something there, set the hook. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, and I would think too, just just letting the letting the minnow do its thing uh, is a, a much more natural look for 
uh, for those walleyes when they come in to take a, a look at what's going on, too. Yes, very, very much so, and that's where we, you know, that's where we should always use fresh bait. Uh, you know, if you just uh, and the other thing too, I fail to mention, Kevin, is that say we missed a fish, you know, so the tendency is bring that jig up and look at your minnow, see if it's scarred or if it's still on there. Many, many times, just keep it down in that area, and that walleye many times will hit again. Hmm. Okay, that's uh, that's 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 good to know, and uh, you know, the other thing too, I would think too, is that. Even even on the you know the bottom, if you're not moving that jig, there's still got to be just a little bit of sort of natural current down there. Not maybe a lot, just enough, you know, to maybe you know subtly move that that help move that minnow maybe a little bit or move that plastic just a little bit as well. I would think that uh, also would be a, a help. Yes, very very much so. You know, and if you're holding it, you know, on the bottom, taking you know advantage of the current as you're mentioning, is to just provide a real light. Uh, a jigging action, maybe just twitching your rod tip, you know, something that's just going to uh, move that jig in that minnow, and then also, to that little bit of what you're trying to do is really imitate some natural appearances, mm-hmm. and that is a big key factor. Same thing with the size of your bait. There's going to be, you know, many times, generally speaking, the two and a half uh, to three-inch fat is the more productive, but also, too, we haven't done this a lot on the river system, but even small suckers can be extremely, extremely good catching a lot of bigger walleyes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I tell you what, Terry, I'm going to take a quick break, and then uh, uh, we'll come back. I've got a few more questions for you on, on River Walleye, so we'll, uh, we'll take a quick break and come back in just a moment uh, and uh, continue with Tackle Terry Tuma here on WKTY Outdoors. It's 846. Thank you for listening to WKTY Outdoors on 95, 96, <laughs> 580 AM. WKTY Outdoors brought to you by Roscoe's Live Bait, your hometown bait shop on Arthur Street in Toma. This is an American Red Cross blood donation alert. We are currently facing a severe blood shortage during this coronavirus outbreak. Healthy blood and platelet donors are asked to make an appointment to give now. Donating blood is safe and can help save lives. Cancer patients, accident victims, and so many others continue to need life-saving transfusions. So please schedule your appointment now by visiting redcrossblood.org or calling 1-800-RED-CROSS. You can make a difference. With your coronavirus update and wisdom news, I'm Caitlin Riley. Pressure from medical experts and politicians on the federal and state level is building for a mandatory shelter-in-place order from Iowa Governor Kim Reynolds, who rejects such a move as unnecessary. Minnesota Governor Tim Wall says six major health plans agreed to waive co-payments and co-insurance requirements for COVID-19 testing and in-network hospitalizations and grant and expand access to telemedicine services. University of Wisconsin President Ray Cross says a coronavirus outbreak that's already led to the suspension of all in-person spring classes could also force changes to the fall semester. Get the latest headlines at wisdomnews.com. If you're a fan of Wisconsin sports, then don't miss the Bill Michaels Show on WKTY. From border to border, we've got Wisconsin sports covered. Packers, Brewers, Badgers, Bucks. We'll bring you the latest on your favorite team along with expert guests. And we'll make some time for your opinions as well. Just give us a call. The Bill Michaels Show, weekday afternoons from 11 to 2 on Western Wisconsin Sports Leader, WKTY, 96.7 FM, 580 AM. 
WKTY 96.7 FM, 580 AM. Welcome back to WKTY Outdoors, brought to you by Tony Ryerson at tryerson.cbrivervalley.com. Get the home or plot of land you've always wanted. Back on the phone here now with uh, Tackle Terry Tuma, and we're talking about river walleyes this morning here on the program. And uh, one of the things, uh, Terry, I just wanted to kind of touch on a little bit as well is uh, is scent. Uh, you talked a little bit about that with the uh, with minnows a, a few minutes ago, but uh, you know, talk a little bit about, especially again, uh, you know, we're dealing with high water, stained water, dark water. Uh, what kind of a factor can that play? Scent is a big factor. Uh, you know, it's something we have to address and have to accept. You know, and some of the it more so, it's not what we put on the lures. You know, we hear so much about, uh, you know, adding a scent as an attractor. And I think that was really promoted as that. Well, if you use it, you're going to catch fish. Not necessarily. What I do use it a lot for is to uh, cover up unwanted odors. I think it's so important for us, and it's amazing how these unwanted odors could be, you know, from putting gas in your truck. Uh, It can be from oil contamination. Uh, Maybe you uh, put some oil in in your outboard or whatever it may be. Mm -hmm. You know, nicotine is another one that's a major negative. And so, therefore, then, if you feel that you contaminate your hands, I take this uh, scent and actually rub it on my hands like a lotion and then also put it on your bait. But it's a big, big factor. We have to understand that part of the reason fish survive is taste, scent, sight, and feel. And so, therefore, then, uh, we do not want to go out and have a negative factor. It will make a difference. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Great, great point. Great point. Uh, let's uh, let's shift gears just a, a little bit here too. You wanted to talk a little bit about uh, three-way rigs as well. Yeah, three ways are extremely productive at this time of the year, and really all the way into uh, open, the summer pattern. And three ways right now with leeches, uh, not necessarily the big jumble leeches, but it could be medium leeches and large leeches. Very, very productive on three-way silver rigs. As the season progresses, here again is you tying on, instead of a leech, tie on a crankbait about a five-foot uh, length of a snell, if you will, mm-hmm. and then troll those in exact um, location, meaning that if you are... If we're familiar, if we ever heard of hand lining, uh, this is very similar. In fact, I think it's a little bit more accurate is that you can pinpoint these locations with your electronics and trolling, get those crankbaits exactly where they're at. But here again, too, using the correct rod when you're using leeches at this time of the year, uh, the dropper uh, length of that line also a factor, the weight of the line. And I, I really prefer long rods, uh, eight footers, eight and a half to even nine footers with a soft tip, and then using a weight that just is touching the bottom. You do not want to plow the bottom. Okay. And and when with that three way with that three way rig, how far up are you you, you putting that uh uh tying in that line? Uh, generally speaking, about eight inches off the bottom for the river system. Uh, so it's a three-way uh, with one, the uh, the dropper line, which I call a dropper line, which is about an eight foot. And I here I use a, a monofilament, a six-pound test. So if, if you get hung up, you can just break that off instead of retying your whole snell length for that leech. And then here too, Kevin, what I do, I use colored hooks, of course, and then I use a bead ahead of the colored hook. So now you got a little bit of extra bulk and a little bit of extra color. 
color and flash. It's extremely productive. And here, too, work with the different color of beads. And, you know, if, and if you're using a red hook, for instance, don't go with a red bead. Go with it, maybe a chartreuse bead or a green bead, something that's going to be a, a contrast. Okay, yeah. Yeah, you want that, that contrast just to stand out just a little bit more, uh, I would think. Yeah, it, it, great. Uh, and it, one other thing, you mentioned this uh, a little while ago, uh, was using uh, was using lead core. Uh, I would think that this time of year would be you know, perfect for using that. Yeah, it really is. I, so many times uh, you'll see anglers out there, uh, you know, jigging, which is great. Uh, using three ways is great. Uh, maybe using leeches at this time with cold water temperature uh, in lieu of minnows, but always try both. But yes, lead core can be extremely, extremely productive. I learned uh, lead core from an angler that was in his eighties. Uh, trolling uh, at this time of the year or in cold water temperatures. And I was, and you hardly ever see, you'll see some anglers doing it, but I was really surprised at the results. And so therefore then he told me he led course from ice out to freeze up. And here again, too, it's going to be, you know, the, the size of the crankbait, the color of the crankbait in your trolling speed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, and uh, I was going to say, do, you know, what are you using on the end of the line there for uh, at the end? And they're jigging a minnow or crankbait. What? Uh, what? I, I guess it it just depends, maybe. Yeah, I really generally speaking with lead core, and this, I use about a ten foot uh, a mono leader for stretch because lead core doesn't stretch whatsoever. And then, uh, generally speaking, we'll stay with more of the smaller profile, more of a subtle vibration of a crankbait uh here again we have to realize the water temperature is cold so we do not want to uh you know change that concept but if you got a tough bite going and you need to experiment maybe it's real dark water or, or you want to experiment with something then step up the size and step up the vibration pattern like a shad dancer for instance mm-hmm. okay and and yeah are there particular instances where that where using lead core is going to be you know more productive than just simply you know parking the boat, and just kind of doing that, that vertical jigging. Uh, yes, it can be. The reason being is that you're covering large expanses mm-hmm. of water. Uh, you're trolling. Uh, but here, too, again, it really is so dependent. If you can find a concentration of fish, uh, you know, uh, jigging is is so much more enjoyable, I think, than lead core. I mean, they're both mm-hmm. enjoyable, but it's just fun to feel that bite constantly and so forth. Uh, so it's going to really vary somewhat. You know, if if you're out there and you just can find locations where uh, these walleyes or sauger are concentrated, then I would opt for either three-way swivel rigs where you can uh, troll and cover more of an expanse and making sure with three-way swivel rigs that you're just not trolling an area that's like a no-man's land. You want to work mm-hmm. some, you know, contours, uh, inside turns. It's so instrumental for us to really hone in on these specific exact locations. But if you're not having a lot of success, maybe there's an area where there's a large expanse of a flat or where there's minimal current, then consider trolling lead core and crankbaits. Mm-hmm. And, and is, is, is it also the case, too, where uh, you might be able to use lead core to, to sort of take a fish in an area here and there and not necessarily spook the rest uh, as compared to maybe vertical jigging? 
Yes, you know, if you're running uh, over an area where you are going to, uh, you know, mark some fish, and yes, uh, there's very, very much so spooky fish, especially in the shallower water locations and a lot of fishing pressure. So that's going to be definitely a factor. And, you know, if there's a lot of anglers in one area, stay away from that uh, concentration of people because that much, if you just think about all those uh, uh all that you know, type of lures we're using, the boat traffic, the motor traffic, and so forth, can really shut down these fish, or generally speaking, move them. And here again, too, that's why it's so wise for us to try to pick out location that does not get a lot of heavy fishing pressure, or maybe going out early in the morning before everybody else does, or staying out later in the afternoon or evening when most people have already loaded up their boats. There's a lot of factors here, but, you know, here again, too, is is one is, you know, if you know of an area that's really good, no matter if you're jigging or throughways or, or casting or or using lead core, is to you know, if you're picking up a fish here and there and you're pretty successful and maybe you're marking a couple of fish, work that area thoroughly. Don't just go through there maybe for 10 minutes and then say, ah, they're, they're not biting, so you move on. Too often today we have this tendency to uh, want to catch fish immediately, uh, you know, just that real quick results. And so many times, especially river fishing, but on all species of, uh, with all species of lakes on all waters, we need to have that patient factor. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And that unfortunately seems to be in short supply some days. That's (laughs) it really is. Yes. You can watch. I've seen uh, anglers loading up boats on the river system, also on inland lakes. Uh, You know, they're out there at uh, six o'clock in the morning and you can see that they're not catching fish. Up goes the boat on the trailer at 830 in the morning. Yep, exactly. Well, Terry, I've got to wrap things up here. We're just about out of time with the show today. So I I thank you so much for uh, for joining me on the program today. Uh, It's uh, it is always a pleasure to talk to you and and, uh, listen to you uh, share some knowledge. uh, And and, uh, today was a uh, was a great program, I think. Thank you. Well, thank you so much, Kevin. It's always a great opportunity to visit with you and share some of the information with our listeners. And have a great day, everybody. Yep, and uh, I'll be back in just a couple of moments here with more of WKTY Outdoors on WKTY 96.7 FM, 580 AM. WKTY Outdoors brought to you by Roscoe's Live Bait, your hometown bait shop on Arthur Street in Toma. Some people have a summer home. Ask me, this winter home is way better. Sure, it looks like a shack, but it's on the water. Keeps the cold out, plenty of seats. Just watch out for the bucket butt. And the fish are biting thanks to Roscoe's Live Bait. They're like my ice fishing interior decorator and accessorizer. The moral of the story is it's okay to call your ice shanty your second home and Jigs to Gear Roscoe's Live Bait and Toma is your ice fishing headquarters. Buy any rod and reel, get a free line setup. Roscoe's, it's where everyone goes. WKTY 96.7 FM, 580 AM. Welcome back to WKTY Outdoors, brought to you by Tony Ryerson at tryerson.cbrivervalley.com. Get the home or plot of land you've always wanted. And, um, boy, I tell you what, it's just, I, I love chatting with Terry here. We uh, we have a great time and always get some great information from him. I always come away with so much when I talk to him. So, And I, I hope you did, too. 
Uh, that's going to do it for the show today. Thank you very much for joining me. Uh, we will do it again next Saturday morning here at 8 o'clock on WKTY. So until then, be safe, be well, and we'll talk to you next Saturday. Your station for sports. Get up! Get out of here! Go! WKTY Lacrosse, 96.7 FM.